Let's go ahead and jump in. Philemon chapter 1, verse 7. I mean, verses 1 through 7. And here's what Paul has to say. He said, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apaphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because, of the, hearts, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So as we see here, Paul opens up this letter as he does a lot of letters, he says in verse 4, and we're going to focus on verses 4 through 7, he says this, he says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Now, church, the very first thing that I have to point out is, where was Paul while he was writing this letter? Where was Paul while he was writing this letter? In prison. He was in prison. Now, let me ask you a question. Did Paul do anything wrong? Did Paul break any law? No. Paul simply went to prison for believing in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and wanting to share that with others. Paul had a great, uh, he, he, had, he, had, he had great vision for what could be done for the gospel. And, and Paul wanted to see a certain outcome, but he didn't see that outcome. Instead of seeing that outcome, what Paul ended up receiving was great opposition. And because of this great opposition, this great man of God who's just teaching the truth and teaching the gospel of Christ, he winds up in prison. And for many of the years that he's in prison, Paul is writing letters. As a matter of fact, more or almost half of the New Testament is written while Paul is in prison. Now I get it. He was in prison, so he had a lot of time, right? So he got to write a lot. I get it. But let me give you a little clue as to why Paul was able to do such great things even while in prison. And it starts with what he says there. He says, I thank God always when I pray for you. Paul understood that it was important to have a good attitude and to be grateful to God for any circumstance and any person in life. So that brings me to my first point is this, is the attitude I need for building relational bridges is gratefulness. The attitude I need for building uh, relational bridges is gratefulness. And so Paul understands this. And Paul lives his life being grateful to God no matter the circumstance. This was a man who wrote plenty of motivational verses, right? We like to quote all of them. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If he is for me, then who can be against me? He wrote these while he was in prison. Church, think about that. How can a man being afflicted with such persecution still have the right attitude in this life? He was living out what he believed to be the will of God for his life, and it was the will of God. He was wanting to spread the gospel amongst the Gentile people, the Gentile nations. That's what he was working for, and that got him in prison? I mean, think about some of us nowadays. We, we, we like living by this um, 
by this notion of, well, God's got to give me a sign. <laughs> right? But have you noticed that every time we say that, the sign has got to be positive? Have you noticed that? Well, God's going to have to give me a sign. If he wants me to participate in the building campaign, I'm going to have to win the lottery. That's the sign. <laughs> right? Think about it. When in Scripture do we see that? If Paul was given any sign, it's that he encountered some very tough circumstances because of his faith. But in the midst of that, Paul was able to remain grateful for every circumstance because Paul knew that the God he served and this gospel he taught was about a God that was sovereign over everything. And he knew that his God could still work through the, the, the hurtful and the harsh and troubling circumstances in his life. See, my relationship with my brother didn't fracture because God wanted it to. It fractured because of our brokenness. But God was still able to bring some good out of it. Our character isn't formed when we're winning the lottery. Our character isn't formed when we marry a wife who doesn't challenge our authority at all. It's formed when things aren't going our way. How do we respond? How do we act? And what attitude do we have? And Paul here understands that gratitude is the attitude that sets the altitude for living. Did y'all get that? Gratitude is the attitude that sets the altitude for living. And Paul knew that. Things around him weren't going great, but he was still grateful in the midst of those circumstances because he knew that God was still at work in those circumstances. Church, I have to ask, are you a person that understands that? Do you believe without a, a shadow of a doubt that no matter what you're going through, God is still at work? Do you believe that he is the author and finisher of your faith? Paul did. That's why he was able to write this. Now, Paul did something very interesting as we keep reading in verses uh, 5 and 6, he says, Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and all of your saints, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. In verse 5, he says, Because I hear of your love for Christ and faith for Christ and all of the saints. Paul knew something. Paul knew something that a lot of us still haven't figured out. If you're in leadership, if you're a manager, if you're a supervisor, you, you have heard of something called the sandwich method, right? No? Okay, here it is, okay? So if you're a leader, take this home with you. It'll, it'll help you when you're, when, you're, um, when you're coaching someone underneath you. It's this. The, the, the sandwich method is this. You take the good, and you start with that. You sandwich in the challenge and the bad, right? And then you finish with the good again. That way, you thank them for what they've done, and the work they've accomplished, you challenge them as to what needs to be done, and then you encourage them to carry that out. Right? So Paul is doing this here in this letter. He's starting with the good. He knows he's about to get into a very difficult challenge for Philemon, but Paul starts with the good. He says, I hear of the love that you have for others, that you have toward the Lord Jesus and all the saints. Paul understood this, and so he began with that. He let out with that. And hopefully some of you will begin to lead out with that whenever you're, you're trying to coach someone underneath you. That way you don't lose that many employees anymore. 
That way your employees aren't upset with you because the very first thing they hear is, you did this wrong, and you kind of forget all the, the good that they've done for the, whatever it may be. So you lead with the good, you give the challenge, and you end with the good, right? And that's what Paul is doing here. As a matter of fact, if you look at what Paul is doing, he's, he says, love, faith, and we'll finish with love. It's a little chiastic here. So he starts with something, goes to something, comes back to it. Love, faith, love. And he says this in verse 6. Let me, let me go to verse 6. He says, And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Now that's the ESV. I've actually had them insert the ASB or the NASB, which is the New American Standard Bible. And here's why. The word fellowship that you see here in the ESV is translated as sharing. And whenever you read it, it almost reads as through the sharing. Through, through sharing the gospel, you may experience, right, the goodness and the full knowledge of the goodness of God for our lives. But the Greek word that's used here for, for sharing or fellowship is koinonia. The word koinonia simply means fellowship, partnering in, doing life together. So this would read different. This would say, and I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. Paul understood that we were called to do life together. He understood, and again, we say he had a deep conviction for unity. And so in this verse here, he's talking about how that fellowship with others may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which, uh, which is in us through Christ, for Christ's sake. And here's my second point. As I grow in fellowship with other believers, I will become more aware of God's goodness for my life. Now, one of the things that we see nowadays is we see this, um, uh, I, I, don't, I guess it might be going the other way. Hopefully it is. But this trend of when we're hurt by someone, right? When we experience hurt, shame, someone, we say, backstabbed us in the church, right? What do we do? Do we naturally want to confront that and work it out as brothers and sisters? No, right? What do we do? We decide to retreat and isolate ourselves, and we'd rather be at home watching someone on TV. Why? Because that way no one can hurt us, no one can challenge us, no one can hold us accountable, and in our own words, no one can backstab us. But Paul understood that we as Christians, in order to become deeper followers of Christ, couldn't do that alone. This isn't about you and God. This is about us and God. And that's why Paul had a deep conviction about the unity of the body of Christ. He knew that you have something I don't. I have something you don't. And we're called to walk this together to help each other. He knew that at times I'm going to struggle and I need fellow brethren to pick me up and walk with me in those difficult times. And we can't do that when we're thinking about our relationship with God being this individual one-way road and that's it. No. We're called to live this out in community and we won't experience the fullness of God and the goodness of God until we learn to do that together. That's why here at Grace, we're, we're big on small groups. We're big on trying to call each of you to, to join a small group. Let's do this together. Let's live out our relationship with God in unity and community the way God and Scripture calls us to. When we do that, we reap the full benefits and the fullness of the goodness of God in our lives. 
Now I have to pause. Because some of you are thinking, okay, I get that. But I've been hurt. I've been lied about. I've been shamed. I've been held accountable when I didn't want to be held accountable. I've been hurt. And I have to tell you, Adrian, it's really difficult to do church with others. I get that. I understand. I've been there. I know what it's like. But church, we're all broken. We're all on a journey. Wouldn't it be easier to go on this journey together with other broken people who are trying to figure it out with God's help? Instead of retreating into isolation and thinking that I'm going to be able to figure it out, all you're going to be able to do is tell yourself the greatest self-motivation speeches ever. You're just going to make yourself more selfish than, than, than you are now. That's all we're going to do. But Scripture doesn't call us to that. Scripture calls us to be selfless, to lay ourselves down, to care for one another, to love one another. It's difficult, I know. As a matter of fact, there was a time in my life when I didn't go to church at all. It was right after Bible school, during Bible school. You know, during Bible school, I never went to church. Did you know that? You know why I never went to church? Because I felt like I had given everything I had for my church and that youth group all of my teenage years. And the one moment that I chose to move away and do something opposed to what they thought I should do, I felt like I was kicked to the curb. No one cared about me. No one wrote me. No one said, hey, we're praying for you. No one said any of that. I felt forgotten. And I was hurt by that. I was disappointed by that. And God, in a sovereign way, was still working that out in my life. I was still doing things that I thought were for God, but I didn't want to do anything with church. It didn't matter what church I went into in Dallas. If you know, Dallas is filled with great churches. I went into some of the biggest churches in Dallas. Some that some of you might even recognize and think, man, they're amazing. Well, I'd walk in, I'd find something, something negative to say about the pastor in the first five minutes. I always had a reason for, no, you see, he doesn't even go to the foyer and say hi to his people. Look, he retreats back to the green room. He's, he's too good for everyone. I would try to find holes in their preaching. I would try to find holes in everything. Why? It wasn't because there was issues with them. It was because of an inward issue with me. And then I met Daisy. And Daisy has always been a person of truth and a person who's been willing to challenge me and tell me the truth. And so during these years, it was the latter years, I was at that time, I was, I was doing some, some tours as a musician and, and I started feeling this, this weird desire to pastor a church. I kept thinking, man, the church, a lot of these pastors don't know how to do it. They're not shepherding. They just care about themselves. They're so selfish. And man, I'm, I, God, Maybe God, maybe I'll be a pastor. And so I'm sharing this with Daisy on the phone, and I'm just sharing my, my passion to, have a, to be a part of a church where a pastor shepherds, a pastor takes care of their people. They teach their people to do ministry and how to take care of one another. And she's listening to me kindly and listening to me kindly, and then she says, okay, so you want to be a pastor? Said, yep. Who's going to go to your church if you don't go to anyone's church right now? And at that moment, I just kind of stopped. 
I probably had an answer. I always think I do. But at that moment, I wanted to say, you know what? I'll call you later. (laughs) But it was true. It was true. How could I sit here saying everything that's wrong with the church and listen, not be willing to be a part of the solution? Isn't that what we do? Don't we always find a problem with the people on stage or the people sitting next to us? Don't we all find an issue in the way they, we handle programs and small groups should be this way or that should be that way? Oh, I can't believe it. The walls are gray. That's black. There's wood on the stage. I can't believe they did that. The carpet color is not what I wanted. And we all find our own reasons to want to retreat and not be a part of the church. Yet we think we know what's best for the church. Don't you find that a little ironic? You, you know what's best in community, yet you don't want to do community? Have you, have you thought about that? I was being hypocritical. I was a hypocrite. And thank God for for a young lady in those days, because we weren't married, who was willing to challenge me and to tell me the truth. Look in the mirror, young man. But we're called to do this together. Is there going to be hurt? Absolutely. Is there going to be pain? Sure. Are there going to be problems? Yes. Yes. Because we're broken. We're doing this together. But God doesn't call us to retreat. He calls us to confront the issue like Paul is doing in this book. He's not calling you to isolate. He's calling you to be a part of the community. Be a part of the change. Be a part of the difference. You can't do that alone. You've got to do it together. And when we come and we do that together and we're using our individual gifts, we're a blessing to each other. That's why the gifts of the Spirit are for the common good of the what? Of the church. Not me, not you. For the church. I don't know if you know this, but one of the main ministries of the Holy Spirit is to bring unity within the body of Christ. That is why, the way, that is why when he gives out the gifts, the spiritual gifts, he does so knowing that you'll need him, he'll need you, she'll need you, you'll need her, and we'll all need one another. And that's how we grow stronger and are able to do more in this life together. But we have to understand that in order to do this, we have to be together. And we can't allow what we think about others to affect us. And Paul doesn't do that in verse 7. Let's go ahead and read verse 7. He says this in verse 7. He says, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Again, Paul is willing to point out the positive, right? He's in the prison cell writing this letter with someone who ran away from Philemon as his master. Do you think Onesimus had good things to say about Philemon? I'm I'm hearing things like, well, he may be your brother in Christ, but he sure did not like a brother to me. He may be a believer in faith, but he didn't treat me with a lot of goodwill. But Paul isn't writing about that. Paul is writing about what he has heard about Philemon, the good. And church, here's another one of our problems. Why is it that our first view of people is always negative? Why are we so cynical in relationships? And listen, I have this problem. This message has not been easy for me. 
I have this issue too because we all think we have this grand gift of discernment, right? And through this gift of discernment, we're, oh, that person right there, I'll tell you what. I'm just going to be a realist, not going to do much in life. I'm just going to be real. I'm going to tell it the way it is. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. So I, I don't want anything to do with you. And we pride ourselves on seeing the negative in people. Think about that. I do this sometimes, a lot. But Paul isn't doing that. Paul is viewing the good. He's focusing on the good, not the bad. There's a great quote from Oswald Chambers that says this. He says, oh, sorry. Oh, got lost here. There we go. He says this. He says, I have never met a man that I can despair of when I rightly discern what lies in me apart from the grace of God. Man, that's, that's hard. Did you read that? Did you hear that? Here, read it again. I have never met a man that I can despair of when I rightly discern what lies in me apart from the grace of God. Oswald Chambers understood that there's nothing good in me. The only thing that's good in me is because of that. When I rightly look at myself, I see how broken I am as well. So how can I look on someone else and despair of them in their brokenness? How can I think so negatively about my neighbor when I'm broken as well and the only thing I have different is the grace of God? Why do we run around being so negative about each other even in the body of Christ when we know that the only thing that makes us good is the grace of God? Church, he found the positive in the person. He thought positively about Philemon. He didn't allow the negative, uh, the negative sayings or the, the negative thoughts to be what, drive, what, what drove him in this relationship. No, he allowed the positive, the good. Hey, I see the good that you're doing, and I'm refreshed by that. Keep that up. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't confront sin. It doesn't mean that we don't address sin in each other's lives. Of course we do. Of course we do. But when you do so, do so in light of what God is doing in their lives and not in light of what you see at the moment. What is more important? What is more truthful? What I see now or what God is perfecting in their lives? What's more eternal? What I see now or what God is going to do in their lives? When we learn these truths and we become positive in our thinking about our circumstances and others, we begin to live this Christian life the way God called us to. Now again, church, I have to pause because I know that some of you are thinking, well, Adrian, you don't understand the circumstances that I'm in right now. You don't know how hard it is just to do life right now. You don't. I've been betrayed. I've been hurt. The person I love most in this world is sick. Or I am. You don't know. 
I get that. I get it. I understand that I might not understand your circumstances. And I understand that things might be hard. And because of that difficulty, it's very hard to think that God is still in control. And it's very hard to be positive right now. I get that. You know, I've I read of a man who experienced some very difficult times in his life. He didn't deserve any of it. As a matter of fact, I didn't, haven't just read about him, I know him. He was betrayed. He was mocked. He was spat on. He was broken. Every sin of this world fell upon him. But he didn't throw in the towel when things got difficult. He didn't think negatively when things got hard. I'm reminded of this prayer at Gethsemane when Jesus, knowing what he was about to go through, was going to be very difficult. He says, Father, if possible, let this cup pass. But Jesus wasn't about himself. And he said, but not my will, your will be done. And he carried out this work, this great salvific work for all of us. And the one relationship we never deserved, and the one relationship we could never attain, and the one relationship that was fractured for eternity. Jesus steps in the midst of our lives and he lives a perfect life and goes to the cross. He dies, he's buried, and he resurrects on the third day to be able to bring a restoration to that relationship. Maybe that's why Paul had such a great outlook on life. Paul didn't focus on his circumstances. Every time his circumstances got hard, Paul would look to the cross. If Christ could go through that despair, then I can go through this minute despair in my life. If I believe that he is the risen king and that he's resurrected and he has defeated sin and death, well, I too, no matter what, will resurrect and live eternally with him. Jesus experienced a broken relationship. However, that relationship, you and I, we could never understand. This was an eternal relationship. Jesus goes to the cross and the sin of man comes upon him. And at that moment, what does he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even the father had to turn his back on him. Now every relationship and every person and everything that Jesus thought he knew was, had turned their backs on him. But he didn't give up. He pushed through. Why? Because he saw the work that he would perfect in you and me. He didn't focus on our sin and our disobedience. He didn't focus on our mockery. As a matter of fact, when he's on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. 
know. Our Savior, our God knew that there was a work to be done. He knew that he was the author and the perfecter of our faith. And he knew what needed to happen. And he carried it out on that cross for you and me. You may be a person who has thought that all of your life you thought you had to do the work to restore your relationship with God. You were told that you have to say prayers of forgiveness, that you have to do A, B, C, and D, and you have to do all of these things in order for your relationship to be restored with the Father. But Scripture says that it's by faith in His death, burial, and resurrection that we are saved and that we are restored. And the perfect life that He lives is accounted to yours and mine. My prayer is that you would understand that today church, if, if we could look on this amazing work, then yeah, it would be a little easier for us to know, okay, God, everything, you have it under control. I might not see what you're doing. I might not understand what you're doing. My faith is in you. And I know that in every circumstance and through every person, you can work in me. And you can work things out for myself, to learn, to grow, to build character, but more importantly, to come to better understand you, Father. Church, we are called to live life together, but you can't do that with a negative mindset. You've got to do that with a positive outlook. And so the challenge for you today is to know that the circumstance you're in, God is still in control. That person you might not like so much, God is still working out their life and their faith, just like he is in you. But if he didn't give up on us, then we shouldn't either, and we should try to work together and live in unity. Let's pray.